Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 132 of Maximize Your Influence. I'm Steve Olson, and I have the ever-faithful Kurt Mortensen here with me to give you all of his persuasion knowledge today and make you a better person and make you a, just a killer closer. How are you doing today, Kurt? Hey, hey, feeling good. Welcome, everybody. Happy late Easter, and I uh, hope everyone had a great weekend. Yeah, yeah. For those of you that uh, celebrated Easter, we hope it was a good one. We know our listeners in Iran likely did not. Our, our hacker listenership in Iran, but uh, <laughs> any of you who did, we hope it was a good one. I put on a few, had some good food over Easter. My kids were just spoiled rotten. Oh, man. Oh, I mean... It, Too much. Like, literally. I mean, they woke up on Easter, and they were just stinkers the whole day, just expecting there to be magical eggs full of money <laughs> and candy everywhere, because between... The Easter Bunny and the grandparents. I mean, it was just a disaster. So we gotta, we gotta yeah. dial it back a notch. There's some entitlement going on in this house. You got some damage control to do. But I have to admit, I became a new believer. Of what? <laughs> Let me tell oh, you. Oh boy! I've been against jelly beans over the year. They just really weren't that good and not worth it. But hey, I was given sweet tart jelly beans, <laughs> and man, were they awesome! So I'm a new believer in jelly beans. It's got to be the right brand. You know the old stuff we used to get as kids? You're like, yeah, it's all right. But, hey, this stuff's good stuff. Well, I think somewhere in the late 1990s, the jelly bean industry picked up its game. Yeah, I agree. Starburst, jelly beans, jelly bellies. Yeah, you're right. When we were kids, it was just kind of these sugary, messy, gooey. <laughs> you know, they just weren't good. But now it's it's a different matter. It's a different game. I'm a new believer, so I'm back on board. Yep. Yep. My kids have this game called Bean Boozled, right? It's a, a pack of Jelly Bellies, and you fold it open, and it's this board game, and you have to kind of wager you're going to taste this jelly bean over here. And it's the same color, and it could be flavored wet grass or watermelon <laughs> or, you know, disgusting moldy cheese or orange, right? So I picked one of them up the other day. I didn't know they had this game. And I started munching on this jelly bean, and it was a horrific experience. It was like the moldy cheese one. I start <laughs> kind of not yelling, but just getting grumpy. Whose jelly beans are these? Why do we buy this? Dad, it's being boozled. And I, I was kidding. Uh -huh. yeah, so. yeah, you see, everyone should have known that. That's like when you eat the, I guess the jelly bellies. You're eating good, and they're fruity, and they taste. Then you get buttered popcorn, and you're like, really? That's nasty to mix up with all those other flavors. But anyway. Well, you're the one that told me to put cheese on popcorn once. That's good stuff. You try it? I did, and yeah, it was. I, I'm I'm a little offended that somebody researched that and figured it out, but also kind of glad because it is pretty good. Yeah. So, listeners, try that out. Melt a little cheddar cheese on your popcorn after you cook it. Giddy up. Good stuff. <laughs> it is good stuff. Sounds like it was a pretty interesting uh, Easter weekend. I made ribs. Made them. Ooh. Tried some new rubs. Tried some new sauce. And it definitely narrowed the field, figured out some uh, key things on ribs. I like to kind of tinker with that and, and get pretty good at it. So I'll have to make you some, but I figured out a pretty sweet combo over the weekend. Ribs are always a good choice. And and little uh, food trivia for everybody, especially for butchers who don't know what they're doing. 
You can't package spare ribs and say they're St. Louis style spare ribs if you don't trim them. You got to trim the tips. You can't just throw the whole thing in there <laughs> and say it's St. Louis. Otherwise, Steve gets grumpy about it and starts complaining about the podcast, and that's not good for every, anybody. That's not good for business. A few emotional scars from the wrong type of ribs, I guess. I was 20 minutes of my day Saturday trimming up ribs, you know, false advertising. This is not a mistake. I've been to a few around, and around here they all think they can do that, and that's not what's going on. Which, by the way, the secret to awesome ribs is they've got to be trimmed. A big rack of just meaty, messy ribs, that might look appetizing, but you're not going to be able to cook them uniform, and it's going to be a disaster. Can you feel the rib passion here? <laughs> I was just going to say, you have converted to the religion of ribs, to the religion of barbecue, because I know, especially people from Texas, this is a religion, this is serious stuff. You don't dink around or the wrath will come out. It's true. You're going to smoke those things. You know, my ribs take six and a half hours front to mm -hmm. back. You know, I'm not messing around with six and a half hours to get it wrong. <laughs> so that's why we all get fired up about it. But there's a show I like called Barbecue Pitmasters. It's a barbecue reality show pretty interesting and it'll make you hungry don't watch it late at night if you're on a diet there you go safety tip of the safety day safety tip of the day so we've uh, talked about a lot of stuff a lot of banter as usual on nonsensical things and for some reason our listeners just keep coming back so it's either for that or the persuasion or both of them but uh, we better try the persuasion side out today you're not getting away with it i'm calling you out from the front i need mm. you to queue up Miracle. your favorite not mine here's Urkel. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Kurt, I have numerous times invited the listeners to propose a better solution. <laughs> Nobody can do it because Urkel is universally considered the epitome of geekiness, and you just cannot beat it. No, come on, listeners. Take that as a challenge. You've got to find something. The you know, I know down. it's out there. I, I dare you. Yeah. Right, double talk dare them right there. Tweet us at InfluenceMax or email it to us at MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. Anyways, Kurt, go ahead. All right, here's the interesting article today from the Journal of Experimental Social Psychology, which we all know and love, talking about mind games and wearing a white coat of all things. And so it says, if you wear a white coat that you believe belongs to a doctor, your ability to pay attention increases sharply. But if you wear the same white coat believing it belongs to a painter, you don't show any improvement. So this is Dr. Alan Galinsky. He's at the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. He has a new word, or we'll call it the word of the day, called enclosed cognition. Wow. <laughs> How our clothing affects our cognitive processes. Kind of fascinating. For example, he gives some examples that when you experience washing your hands, people feel more pure and ethical. Uh, when people hold a hot drink versus a cold drink and rate the person, it changes the ratings as far as warm versus cold. If you carry a heavy clipboard, you feel more important. He also talks about that the clothes we wear during job interviews, we can feel more intelligent than if we dress casually. So it's kind of interesting, the studies he's put together. In the first one, students were randomly assigned to wear a white lab coat or street clothes, and they were doing one of those tests. I don't know if you've seen it before. It says green, but it says red in the middle type of a thing, and they just see how fast they could pick these things up. And they noticed that, of course, that the ones wearing the white lab coat did a lot better. Then they did it again where they randomly assigned to wear one of three things, a doctor's coat, a painter's coat, or just looking at a doctor's coat. And they found that those who wore the doctor's coat, which was, by the way, identical to the painter's coat, found more differences, and the other ones didn't matter as far as just seeing it or wearing a painter's coat. 
Kind of interesting as he goes on to say that clothes invade the body and the brain, putting the wearer into a different psychological state. And he talked about Halloween, and we could talk about dress-up days at elementary schools and even high schools and different behavior. I know in customer service that if you get people to dress up and it makes no sense logically, it does affect their evaluations and their job performance. And so, again, the word of the day is in clothed cognition. What you wear matters. Not only how other people judge you, but how you feel personally, it does make a difference. So that whole dress for success thing is, is legit. It's legit, and it's strange. Things have changed over the years where the dress code's gone down. But, you know, when you go up the organization, it, the dress code still goes up. And what was fascinating, another study showed that if you want to get promoted, if you can dress like the next level above you, just kind of similar to them, it actually increases your chances of getting promoted. That's funny. That's totally subconscious because the boss man's walking around. He's seeing employees. You're planting those subconscious seeds, and now uh, i got to consider promoting somebody who who's – good material for that and subconsciously there you are dressed like somebody who's good material for that he thinks about you in that way that's playing the long game for sure but that i think that's going to work love connectivity that's one of the first things anything they can find similar or in common increases the connection subconsciously and it's very helpful yeah i always love the show the office and uh, we've talked about it on here and there's a character on there that just commits so many persuasion blunders if we could ever get the rights to really just play a lot of those, it would be a clinic in and of itself. But if you know that show, a character, Andy Bernard, transfers over from Branch, and he's super obnoxious. And when he first gets there, he's playing all these office politics games so he can be the number two and eventually take over. And they're terrible techniques, and you're, uh, they're just crazy. But what eventually happens? Andy Bernard takes over. <laughs> he, he, they're bad techniques, but... I guess maybe bad techniques are better than no techniques. <laughs> if you want to yeah, consider if it's that. working, I yeah. guess. Right, there you go. <laughs> yeah, soon we'll get the rights to the office, and Seinfeld will have enough material for another three, four years. I think so. I think so. There we go. It's a great idea. Great idea. Make it happen. Okay, I'm on it. All right, good. So every now and then on the show, we like to shamelessly plug. University of Persuasion website where for less than the cost of a Honda Civic, you can go and you can learn awesome persuasion techniques. We've got a full year worth of persuasion and influence techniques where you can take hardly any time every week and devote that to learning persuasion. And 365 days later, you are an awesome persuader. And we know that you don't tune into the show to hear us shamelessly plug that all the time. Otherwise, you would go do other things. You tune in to hear us talk about interesting things. Occasionally, we bring guests on, and you're going to learn stuff. We really believe that you can take it to the next level if you use University of Persuasion. So we thought, you know what? Why not practice what we preach here? Put what we're talking about to the test. So actually, today, I'm going to take you through 15 reasons why I think you should subscribe to University of Persuasion. And before you roll your eyes, oh, it's a big infomercial. Well, yeah, but it's not. Because Kurt's going to critique it, and he's going to talk about it after. And we're going to identify what persuasion techniques we are using to persuade you to join University Persuasion. What do you think about that, Kurt? Hey, I like it. That's one of the best ways to learn. In fact, any time you watch a great persuader or see a presentation or even watching an infomercial, I encourage everyone to watch infomercials. And you can start identifying the techniques that's happening. That's one of the best ways to learn. Then it becomes more natural to you. Exactly. So l let's get into it and then kind of talk it through because I've been thinking about this a lot. I recently started taking a – and I don't talk about this a lot, 
that I started taking a martial arts class. And it's been very, very interesting. It's a very practical style. It's called Krav Maga. And it's, it's developed by Israeli Defense Forces, and it's designed to really inflict a lot of damage. It's very practical self-defense. And one of the things that I've really become interested in as I learn it, and I'm applying it in everything else that I want to learn and develop and become better at, is the concept of muscle memory. We're learning these moves. If somebody does this, you've got to do that, and you practice it over and over again. And the instructor is yelling at you, you got to do this, get your elbow up, right? For example, I threw a left hook punch about three months ago, and my elbow wasn't up, and my wrist was kind of bent, and I sprained my wrist, and I've been getting over it ever since because I didn't have the right muscle memory. Persuasion is exactly like that. Kurt has said multiple times on the show here that when you need to persuade, it's too late to learn. You come across some person or some product, you need to persuade, you need to close the deal. You can't turn around and open up the book or tune into the podcast and figure out what to do right then. You have to have muscle memory. And I think that that's one of the best things that this course does for you, that the University of Persuasion does. You're going to know exactly what the person you want to persuade is thinking and feeling. We've talked about that on the show, but we take it to a whole new level throughout the course of why are they doing that? Why did they have that objection? Why did they say that? You're going to be inside of their head. That's a very valuable place to be as a persuader. You're going to know how to overcome objections before they're even brought up. We've discussed inoculation multiple times on the show, how you can identify what is going to be a roadblock, solve it ahead of time, and you are going to save yourself so much grief and so much aggravation as a persuader. You're never going to be told, I can't afford it. That's really frustrating. The money objection. I don't have the money. Well, guess what? Sometimes they're lying. Sometimes it's the truth. And as we take you through this year-long course, which, like I said, is about five minutes every week. You can, go you can go more if you want to, but it really is just a little bit of time to develop that muscle memory. When I can't afford it again comes up, it's going to be ironclad. You're going to go through the exact motion that you need to without having to think about it. You're going to learn how to effortlessly build rapport with any personality type, right? Some personality types need this. Some need that. You're going to know. You're going to identify that personality type in the first couple of minutes of talking, and you're going to have a blueprint and muscle memory in your head of exactly what you have to do. You're going to learn the five objections your prospects are always going to have and how to overcome them in advance and after they come up. Like clockwork, it's going to be easy. It's going to be comfortable because we know sometimes when you object, persuaders get uncomfortable. They make it awkward. Like last week on the show, we talked about how closing becomes a chore and there's a demeanor change. It all goes down the tube. 365 days of muscle memory make that a non-issue. You're going to learn how to develop a call to action that gets your prospect asked, okay, how, how do I get started? Wouldn't you prefer to have that instead of, hey, do you want to give me some money? Wouldn't you prefer to have your prospect asking you, okay, what do I do now? Where, where, do, I, where do I give you money? I had a presentation I was giving up in front of a group. Kurt, you were there once. And before I was done closing, a guy ran up to the front and handed me his credit card in front of everybody. That's mm -hmm. the kind of results university of persuasion can get you this is a key one blunders that you are doing that cause persuasion resistance right we're all doing things that we don't know they've become habits it's bad muscle memory right i know my martial arts teacher says hey practice doesn't make perfect perfect practice makes perfect that's why you need this course we're going to teach you four proven techniques that cause prospects to persuade themselves right 
when you're chasing the prospect, when you're asking for business, when you've got that puppy dog demeanor of I need the sale, I need the sale, right? Prospects are trained emotionally to check out and to run away. What this gets you is they get chasing you. They want to ask you for the business. We've talked about this on the show. We take it to a whole new level on the course. We're going to teach you the dirty deeds that unscrupulous negotiators will use against you. This is old school garbage negotiation that for some reason has been passed down through the generations. When it's used on you, it is designed to make you feel uncomfortable. It's designed to make you feel inadequate, like you don't have the upper hand, like your offer is not good. I mean, when do we need muscle memory more than this? You need to be able to automatically kick in and know exactly what you're going to have to do. There's a saying that in a crisis, you default down to your level of training. So when your emotions are pushed, when you're stressed, you're not going to get better, right? You are only as good as your training. You will automatically default to it. That is a reason why you need to be spending, even if it's only five minutes a week, every single week becoming a better persuader so that when you run into awkward persuasive situations, you default to your training, which is going to be high if you use this course. You're going to discover negotiation secrets only known to seasoned negotiation professionals, and they feel natural and they feel easy. The other person doesn't feel like they're being negotiated with. They feel like this is just a good, honest conversation that works for everybody. Wouldn't you like that kind of negotiation? We're going to talk about the top three mistakes average negotiators frequently make that makes the discussion more about money, and it commoditizes you, right? The worst thing you can be as a persuader is commoditized, where you're just a number. You're going to learn the mast and master the art of detecting deception. This one's not just valuable in persuasion and your business and influence. It's valuable with your family, your relatives, your friends. Detecting deception is just key because everybody has to deal with it all the time. How about developing instant trust and credibility within five minutes of meeting somebody? Trim that down. Most people spend all that time oh, talking about the fish on the wall, talking about what we have in common. We're going to get into how to develop it within the first five minutes of meeting somebody. Two more. You're going to enable powerful subconscious mind techniques that are going to work for you and not against you. There's a lot going on behind the scenes in your prospect's mind that you don't know about. Why not leverage that to your favor? And finally, develop an irresistible attraction to wealth and success. Because the fact is, when you start seeing these techniques work for you, you're going to want more. And you're going to be fed on a regular basis with new techniques and new strategies through the University of Persuasion. Those are the 15 reasons why you should sign up for University of Persuasion. Go there now, universityofpersuasion.com. And you'll see your choices, like we joke about, less than the cost of Honda Civic. At the end of this month, in a few days, it's going up. So go there and check it out. Kurt, how'd we do? Oh, the truth or the sugar-coated version? Oh. <laughs> you want some sugar on that one? No, that was good. I hope everyone listened to that and saw what was happening to that. Let me just kind of debrief and go through that. It's one of the fun things I get to do is watch presentations and kind of go through and see how persuasive they are. He went through a list of bullets. Now, the first thing that was good is he just didn't vomit every single bullet, which we tend to do. And we hope our prospect assigns a benefit to it. And so he went through and did not assume that you assigned a benefit to it. He explained it a little bit more, what it means. And as you look at the bullets that you create for a website or during your presentation, the first thing you've got to think about, okay, what's in it for me? What are they thinking? And so if you look at some of those bullets, a lot of them had that what's in it for me that grabbed people's attention. 
And so that's important with any type of even headline or bullets that, as you notice, he went through those. It was some what's in it for me. There were some that aroused curiosity. Hmm. Detecting deception. What's the process? Or unscrupulous negotiators. What does that mean? Or how do I get an irresistible attraction to wealth and success? Those aroused curiosity. There was no answers given. But it arouses curiosity. It says, you know, that would be interesting. So that makes a bullet or a headline very, very powerful. Or if you thought to yourself, ooh, I need that. I want to learn that. Or never be told I can't afford it again is something that everybody persuasion wants to be able to handle and make sure that doesn't happen again because it happens at the wrong time and people usually don't handle it the right way. So that's important with bullets is the what's in it for me, arousing curiosity, grabbing people's attention. Having people think, yeah, that happens to me. Yes, 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 yes. Get as many yeses through that. So that was great. And also you notice, too, that he used an example, the muscle memory all the way through this, which is important because we think through examples. That makes sense. Muscle memory. We need persuasion memory. We need to make it an instinct reaction instead of just vomiting the features, instead of just going through the motions, we need to have that muscle memory in persuasion. And so that example worked very well. And then he also had the validation with the story about somebody running up with their credit card. And anybody in persuasion dreams (laughs) of somebody running up with their credit card saying, pick me, pick me, choose me, take my money, I want in. And, of course, even better than that with everyone else watching. (laughs) Right. That's a powerful thing. And that works out really, really well. And, And one last thing I do want to point out, too, that's very important as you went through these is, and we've brought this up on the show time and time again, that every word you use will attract or repel your prospect. You don't think about it because you use them all the time. You're past the emotional feeling of what that word really triggers in most people. And so if you look at some of the words on those bullets, and if you want to do your research, you can look at the bullets on universityofpersuasion.com and kind of take a look at some of the words they were using. Notice what it says right there on the top. It says reveals. Not you will learn or you have to study or you have to read. <laughs> because even though we know we have to do that deep down, this is revealed. This is new. This is different. Nobody wants to learn things, but we love when things are revealed to us. So that's a, an important word choice. Things like blueprint pulls very, very well. That was used. Irresistible attraction is another curiosity word, but it also great verbal packaging. The secrets. We all want to learn secrets is another one. And one of my favorites on there is dirty deeds of unscrupulous negotiators will use against you. Yeah. <laughs> you've got the dirty deeds, you've got the unscrupulous, and then it arouses curiosity. What are those? What's happening? What's going on? That same thing with, with detecting deception. So these aren't things that are just pulled out of the air. So when you create emails, headlines, bullets, you need to think those through that they fit those categories, the great right verbal packaging, the what's in it for me, the curiosity, grabbing people's attention, having them think, yes, it happens to me, yes, yes, yes. And then the only other thing I would add is building a little pain there. Because people, yeah, 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 but what's the pain? When I ask people, well, how much money do you think you've lost? How many deals have you lost with your inability to persuade? And I've done this with thousands of people. And so you know, listeners, the average is over a million dollars. That creates a pain. That monetizes it, especially when you're talking about a soft skill, realizing this is costing you money, this is costing you business, this is costing you relationships, this is costing you fill in the blank, and that can be very, very helpful. Yeah, that's a weakness that I fall for a lot. I, I assume that the prospect is in pain or that it's readily apparent, and that that's why we're talking. But 
it never hurts to dig on that, to push on that a little bit more, because the more that rubber band, the dissonance band is stretched, the better the chance you have of getting some kind of a result that you're going to like. How are my vocal fillers? I didn't notice too many vocal fillers. Not enough to write those down. That's something that I tend to look at. So that's one that you've improved over the years, and that's something we can offer. The more vocal fillers you have, it does decrease your credibility. Your rate was good, kept people's attention. And the best thing is you just didn't go and list them. You actually, with each one, you explained it, the features, and the benefits, and that's very helpful. Okay, well, there you go. We put our product to the test and critiqued ourselves on this. Go to universitypersuasion.com if for no other reason to see what we've written, what works for us. And, and some of it might work really well for your product. Some of it might go into your, your writing, your copy. You might use some of it verbally in presentations or video or some of the visual effects. Check it out because everything that we're using there is for a scientific reason, because it works. And this is so important that you understand as you get in this world that you need to learn to benchmark. Benchmark us. Take a look at what the social validation we're using, the testimonials that we're using. You go out to your industry and benchmark those that are doing well. Don't copy, but kind of look at best practices. Benchmark three, four, five, eight sites the best. Pull from this, use from this, do this, adjust this. You're not going to use the same words or the same testimonials, but it's going to trigger your brain. And I'll tell you right now, a lot of people are like, oh, I can't do that. That's copy. That's plagiarism. Every marketer I've ever met, and I've been to a lot of marketers, a lot of marketing boot camps, I've studied copywriting, they all say the same thing. That's what everybody does. You go out and you benchmark. It's best practices. That's what people do to trigger your own ideas, your own thoughts. That works. That doesn't work. And just like a good research paper, you're going to three, four, five, six different sources, and it becomes yours, and that makes a big difference. So if you're not sure how to write copy, go out and benchmark. Great places like ClickBank or search on Google. Who's buying ads? Who's number one in the search engines? What's popular out there? What's going? What are people buying? That makes the biggest difference, and it triggers your brain into your own ideas, and you can benchmark what's working out there. You know the right formats. Go there, universitypersuasion.com. Benchmark us. I'm giving you permission. Take a look at it. Not copy, but take a look at the format, the structure, and it'll make a big difference for you. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, check it out, everybody, and we certainly appreciate your feedback, and send that feedback to maximizeyourinfluence.gmail.com, or like I said, Post it on the Facebook wall or tweet it at us, and we're happy to discuss it. And if you've got feedback that you need, send it to us. We can look at it for you, and many times we may even talk about it on the show. So you can air it out like we just did with our own product. And if there's something you want us to critique of yours, let us know. A lot of times on the show we'll go through and maybe give you a little plug, go through your stuff, and uh, see where you rank in the world of persuasion and influence. Sounds awesome. Let's cue up Homer. Homer, go! Don't, don't, don't. So maybe when I do the blunder on the show, <laughs> I think a lot of times it's just me griping. You know, like my ribs gripe earlier on the show today. But somebody in the car business is teaching people on the radio to say a specific phrase. It bugs me. But once again, is it working? Maybe I'm just not the target guy. But pay attention to this. It's going around. I've noticed a few times in the last year, somebody trying to sell cars, a big Memorial Day sale or whatever. They say, and you know what? At our dealership, we don't expect you to buy unless you like the figures. And that kind of rubs me. I'm like, oh, okay, because other dealers expect you to. You hate the figures, but you're supposed to buy anyway. I found it to be patronizing and kind of hollow. 
is it working, Kurt? Am I being picky here, or is this kind of a dumb technique? Well, it used to work, and that's a challenge with a lot of people. And here's the one thing I want everyone to take from this is that just because it worked once doesn't mean it's always going to work, number one. And when you're working with a prospect and they have a certain objection, doesn't mean everyone has that type of objection. We get stuck sometimes as persuaders thinking that if it's come up once or it worked once, everyone must be thinking that or want to hear that. And that's where it really hurts us, and that's why it's a blunder. So I don't think so, especially when people hear that and it makes them tense and uneasy and it's so obvious. It used to work. It used to be okay, and I'm sure it's pulled well in the past. But I think that's one of those techniques where, like, okay, we're done. We're moving on. Just like if we're talking about the – Automobile industry, used car used to be okay, and everyone bought used cars, but then it just got to the point where that's greasy, used car salespeople, and they moved to pre-owned, and that's going to work for a while, and after a while, they're probably going to change that to something else. Yeah, it's true. A used car salesman, attorney, and politician are like the bottom of the barrel film, <laughs> right? That's true. To go over trust scores, they are at the bottom down there with telemarketers. I, yeah, I think drug dealers are probably... <laughs> On top of them, you know, while it's reprehensible, people, hey, well, that's kind of a can-do entrepreneurial attitude for the, the drug dealer. But those other well, guys, you, you got to trust your drug dealer, right? Because they're giving you illegal substances. <laughs> so you want to be able to trust them. So I bet they're much higher. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. We trust drug dealers more than congressmen. <laughs> yeah, and that's a given fact right there. <laughs> it's really sad, but I'm thinking about this. I'm I kind of going, yeah, I think a large portion of the population just might because, uh, you know, it's a drug dealer delivers a politician. Doesn't <laughs> they do. You're going to get the product every time. You got what you paid for. We didn't get what we voted for. So, yeah. Hello. <laughs> oh, this is terrible. OK, <laughs> well, that's our plunder for the week. We appreciate you listening, everybody. We'll catch you next week on another episode of Maximize Your Influence. Take care and persuade with power.